Hey listeners, this is Blake Strode, Executive Director of Arch City Defenders, and you are, of course, listening to the Under the Arch podcast, a podcast where we explore the issues facing our communities and the people fighting to transform them. Uh, Once again, you have a very brief solo intro from me. You will hear Kayla's voice very soon. Uh, And once again, we have a special episode of Under the Arch. Another live debate, this time for St. Louis County Executive. We held this debate on Sunday, July 12th, uh, between four candidates for county executive, the current county executive, Sam Page, and his challengers, Mark Montavani, St. Louis County Assessor, Jake Zimmerman, and Jamie Tolliver. This is a two-hour debate. It's action-packed, info-packed, some really interesting exchanges. I hope that you all learn from listening to this. I certainly learned um, while hosting. You'll see we had some some early difficulties we had to work out, but we got them all worked out. So um, I hope you you really enjoy and get a lot of information to inform those of you who are county voters to inform your vote on August 4th. So... um, Without further ado, please enjoy. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Welcome to the 2020 St. Louis County Executive Debate. My name is Kayla Reed and I'm the Executive Director of Action St. Louis. My name is Blake Strode and I'm the Executive Director of Arch City Defenders and we are your moderators for this afternoon. This debate is a part of our ongoing Woke Voter STL series, which began in 2016 and seeks to create spaces where constituents can hear directly from candidates asking for their vote and ask questions that matter to our families and communities. For this event, we received nearly 100 questions from the public and we will try our best to cover the issues that matter to our communities. The election for county, the primary election for county executive happens on August 4th, 2020, which is in 22 days. The general election will take place in November. Before we get started, we want to remind the audience of an important date to remember ahead of the August 4th election, that is July 22nd, which is the last day to request an absentee ballot ahead of the upcoming election. So if you plan to vote absentee, please be sure to request your ballot as soon as possible. We also want to acknowledge all of our community partners who have contributed support and question topics for this debate. They are the ACLU of Missouri, Dutchtown South Community Corporation, Metropolitan Congregations United, Missouri Faith Voices, Missouri Jobs with Justice, NARAL Pro-Choice Missouri, Organization for Black Struggle, Planned Parenthood, SEIU Healthcare Missouri, Missouri Kansas SEIU State Council, We Power, and the Under the Arch podcast, hosted by Kayla Reed and myself, where this debate will be rebroadcast in audio format. Before we start the debate, we want to share the rules which have been provided to the candidates in advance. The candidates will have up to two minutes to introduce themselves, have up to one minute to answer each question, respond to the questions as they are presented, and have two minutes each for closing statements. 30-second rebuttals will be allowed at the moderator's discretion if we believe an unrelated issue has been raised or another candidate is mentioned by name. 
Please note some questions will be posed specifically to a particular candidate. Others will be asked to all candidates. The moderators will explain the ground rules as I am now, read the candidates prepare questions for the debate, ensure that each candidate has an equal opportunity to answer questions and enforce the ground rules. Please note in the event candidate answers are not clear, require explanation or raise important issues, moderators reserve the right to ask follow-up questions. Candidates will be allowed 30 seconds to respond. And as a final note, uh, we will be keeping time for each of your answers. We will try to gently let you know when um, your time has expired and we ask you to finish that sentence and then conclude your answer. This debate will be broken into four categories. Round one, candidates will respond to follow-up questions from our pre-debate questionnaire. The audience can find that questionnaire on our website at actionstl.org under the Election Center tab and on our social media pages. Round two, we'll focus on questions from the people that were submitted during registration. Round three, we'll focus on questions from our partner organizations. And round four will be an opportunity for candidates to respond to their critics and other topics in the news. Now it is time to meet the candidates. We wanna thank all four candidates for participating in this debate today. We will begin with opening statements. The candidates will be allowed two minutes for opening statements. Mr. Mark Montavani, we will begin with you. Well, good afternoon or good morning or evening whenever you're uh, able to uh, watch this. Uh, happy to be uh, with you. Uh, I'm Mark Montavani, as you may know. Many of you already know me as I was a, a candidate uh, for county executive two years ago when I was the only Democrat with the uh, resolve to mount a campaign against a corrupt uh, incumbent. Uh, over, the, over the years, this community uh, has been very good to my wife, Patty, and me in many ways. We started with nothing, but I've been a lawyer, a teacher, a coach, an entrepreneur, a businessman, uh, an active charitable and civic volunteer, a student of history and governmental best practices, and most importantly, a father of three and now grandfather of 10. Uh, I co-founded a law firm uh, and then left law practice to grow a small marketing company into one of our nation's largest digital marketing uh, companies, uh, creating hundreds of jobs along the way. Uh, I don't aspire to having a big fancy political career. In fact, this is the only office to which I aspire. I'll seek no other office besides uh, this one. For many of you, it's no secret why I'm running for office. Uh, our region in general and uh, St. Louis County in particular continue to fail to meet their potential. COVID-19 and recent instances of police uh, brutality uh, didn't create the problems that our region faces. They've merely amplified our shortcomings, uh, which have persisted uh, for uh, decades. Our community has many strengths, but uh, uh, many unaddressed challenges uh, as well. A stagnant economy uh, where our GDP lags that, those of other Midwestern uh, communities, a population that's in decline, both in the city and county, uh, uh, racism, uh, systemic uh, racism, which uh, kills people and kills communities, and kills dreams and kills hopes and creates racial disparities across health and education and jobs and wealth accumulation uh, and the like. We have a crime problem that is growing and insufficient regional collaboration to address many of these challenges. We all know these things to be true, yet we continue to uh, reelect the same kinds of politicians who have served while these uh, problems have, uh, have grown over the years. My fundamental goals are to tackle uh, our deep related, our deeply rooted uh, issues uh, on social uh, issues and to create more uh, economic growth. Look forward to answer the questions this morning, this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Madhavani. Now we will hear from Dr. Sam Page, County Executive. 
Dr. Page. Good afternoon, and thank you for being here, for allowing me to speak with you. Um, I'm Dr. Page. I'm running for county executive. This is a precarious moment for all of us, and the person you choose as county executive will be making life or death decisions. And that's not hyperbole. Um, that's a fact. Having both an MD and experience in municipal, county, and state government has been an enormous asset in dealing with COVID over the past six months. And again, my first priority is keeping you safe. We are in unprecedented times, and this election is about weighing promises versus accomplishments. And during this debate, we'll be talking about these issues that matter today, restoring trust and accountability in county government, surviving a pandemic, and recognizing and addressing all the current concerns raised by the Black Lives Matter movement. My office has released an annual report that goes over some of the progress we've made in the 15 months since I became the county executive, including raising the minimum wage in county jobs to $15 an hour, family leave, helping families stay in their home through an affordable housing fund, and implementing prevailing wage. We've also provided anti-bias training for police officers from the first years to the top brass. From the beginning, we've made every decision in county government through an equity lens, and that will not change if I'm elected. A bottom line, I'm committed to building a St. Louis County that is healthier, safer, and more equitable. And my record as county executive demonstrates just that. I think these are your goals too, and it will take all of us working together towards a shared vision to make St. Louis the place we all want to be. And again, I appreciate your time, and I look forward to your questions, and I'd be honored to earn your support. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Page. We will now hear from Ms. Jamie Tolliver. Uh, you're muted, Jamie. Sorry. Can you hear me? Great. Hi, so I'm Jamie Tolliver. I am also a candidate in this um, St. Louis County Executive race. I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I've, I've achieved um, multiple things while while I am young, I have I have done a lot in this in the in the few years that I've been on the earth. Um, when I left um, St. Louis in 2001, I went to Atlanta, Georgia, where I did earn a bachelor's degree from Clark Atlanta University in management and marketing. Then I went on to receive a master's and an associate's, um, my certified nursing assistant um, certification. And I am currently a few short weeks away from re receiving my doctorate in education administration. Um, I have worked in multiple fields to include education, healthcare, um, customer service, and civic duty. Um, I would love for you to see that I am the candidate that is willing to ask the right questions so that we can together achieve the right answers. I feel like it is far too often that we go political season after political season with candidates raising the same, the same, um, the same sorts of promises and the same campaign slogans. And every time since I've begun this race, when I talk to the county um, councilmen, aldermen, mayors, and citizens of the county, I am told that the things that they have asked for for decades, they are still waiting on. And I would love to be the candidate to make those things actually happen. Um, it has been far, far too long that we have been facing things like equitable pay, diversity in the workforce, and um, police reform. They've been, on, they've been on the list of things to do for a very long time. And it's time for us to finally say, okay, 
we're going to move them to the top of the list and make sure that that happens. I believe that you all deserve that. I believe that you all expect that. And I believe that you all should have that. So again, I would absolutely respect your, um, your opinions. I would love to answer your questions. And Thank you. I look forward Thank you. Uh, and last, we will hear from County Assessor Jake Zimmerman. Thanks, Blake. Uh, my name is Jake, and uh, if you know me in county government, you probably know me as the, uh, the guy who had the fun task of standing up to the big corporate interests like the casinos and the fake farmers and the fake charities and the folks hiding their private airplanes. Uh, it hasn't always been easy. It especially wasn't easy at uh, the time we had a criminal named Steve Stenger giving away the store at the same time as others of us remain committed to honest public service. Uh, but it's important because the only reason to be in public service is to try to make things better for the people we serve. So look, let's say this straight up. If what you want is more of the same, if what you want is candidates backed by the same old St. Louis corporate interests, by Republican money, and by corporate folks making backroom deals behind the scenes, you got plenty of good choices in this race. But if you're like me, and maybe you're a little bit angry with the status quo, and maybe you're a little bit frustrated with the kind of decision-making we've seen so far. We live in a St. Louis County where this terrible virus is four times as likely to kill you if you are a person of color living north of Delmar. And yet, we live in a St. Louis County where leadership made the decision to make COVID-19 testing available in the Central Corridor in places like Chesterfield and De Pere weeks and months before a single test site was available anywhere north of Delmar. We live in a St. Louis County where police violence is real, where discrimination and awful treatment of people of color is real. And yet, we live in a St. Louis County where leadership wants to bury its head in the sand and pretend that it only happens in Minneapolis and Atlanta and New York. We live in a St. Louis County where the hand-picked police chief of this county executive says direct to the camera that there's no such thing as a racism problem in her department and so sure is she about that that she doesn't even need to meet with the Ethical Society of Police, let alone have That's them sitting at the councils. It's not okay. And if you think it's not okay, then it's time for a change. Thank you. Kayla? Kayla, you're muted. Oh. Kayla, I think we're having some audio issues on your end. We can't hear you. So I'll, I'll go ahead and introduce the next round and see if we can get that figured out. Um, so we're going to go ahead and start round one. In round one, candidates will respond to follow-up questions from a pre-debate candidate questionnaire. Again, the answers can be found on social media and on Action St. Louis's website in a downloadable format. This first question is for all of the candidates. One of the themes across your answers to the survey questions was the need for transparency in county government. Can you each take a minute to explain what transparency looks like for you in the role of county executive, how you will create a culture of transparency, and how, if at all, your approach will differ from those we've seen in recent years? And we're gonna start with you, County Assessor Zimmerman. Well, look. 
County government has been the opposite of transparent for far too long. And the poster child for that is Steve Stenger and his outrageous decisions to give away the store and to give away no bid contracts to his campaign donors. Uh, unfortunately, that pattern of no bid contracting, ignoring the county's minority contracting rules and slipshod governance continues. But what's incredibly angering and what urgently needs a response is the mystifying decision by current leadership to siphon off 10% of the $170 million that came from the federal government and spend it on political slush funds, handing it out to county council members to divvy up a couple million dollars at a time, call it small business relief. It is not acceptable to hand out money to politicians to hand out as they see fit at a time where people are dying. That $170 million was given to us to be spent saving lives, to be spent keeping people at risk of eviction in their homes, to make PPE available to those who need it in this community and to make testing available. When I am county executive, we will govern in the sunshine, That's not fine. in the dark, and we will spend the money as it was intended. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Montavani, same question. Politicians who are frequently looking for their next job have a tendency to try to avoid dealing with unpleasantries, uh, stuff that goes bad, uh, and the like. The fact is that uh, occasionally, sometimes bad stuff happens and it requires an honest uh, response to the public. Uh, as a practical matter, because of the fact that I view myself as just working for the public, not working for any special interests whatsoever, I have no problem with uh, communicating openly uh, to the public uh, at every step of the way. Uh, this is something that has not been done. The level of communication from our county leadership has been bad both uh, uh, with uh, County Executive Stanger uh, and with the current administration. Uh, and, and, and I will open uh, every uh, uh, bidding process so that the uh, community can monitor it uh, and whatnot. I don't anticipate being a decider of winners and losers relative to contracts. That's really not the chief executive's job uh, anyway. Uh, you establish a sound procurement process. That's what's done in uh, uh, in proper entities, That's time. and the consequence of all of that will be a, a much heightened level of transparency. Thank you. Uh, be before I go to the next, let me say two quick things before I come to uh, you, Ms. Tolliver. One, um, I noted that we'll have rebuttals for people that are named. Dr. Page, I know you've been named a couple of times, but we are coming to you with this question. Um, so I'm going to hold off on the rebuttals. And two, we're getting a lot of messages that we know the, the graphic currently reads circuit attorney. We're working on getting that corrected. It should say county executive. Obviously, our team's trying to get that corrected now. But thank you all for, for those messages. Okay, I'm going to come to you, Ms. Tolliver, with this question of transparency, how you bring that about, and how it will differ from previous administrations. Thank you. So I absolutely believe that politics has looked the exact same way for several years. And one thing that I've never seen happen in politics is this idea of two-way communication. Oftentimes, leadership tells the community what it is that they feel like they need, what it is that they want to do for them, and they never ask the community exactly what it is that they actually need, what it is that they want, how it's going to help them. One person does not live everywhere, and so you don't know what one community needs over another. So I believe that communication with, with, the, with leadership and with the residents of each individual community in some way, shape, form, or format to figure out what it is it exactly that they need and then to create a, a game plan, a timeline, and to obviously give progress reports. 
tell them, educate them on how long it's going to take because some things just don't happen overnight. But if you don't give them a progress report, if you don't tell people what it is that you're doing for them, they assume that you're doing nothing. And that is why politicians oftentimes are, are deemed as untrustworthy. They're, they're, they're liars. They, they don't make good with their promises. But I believe that that can change. Thank you. And uh, County Executive Page, feel free to respond to some of the statements that were made and to tell us about your view of transparency. With everything we've seen in the past administ administration, transparency and accountability are fundamental. And that's what we're doing in my administration. We're more transparent than anything anyone's ever seen. We have a transparency portal that's available at sdlcorona.com. And you can see every dime of the COVID funds that's been spent, even down to the blue painter's tape. Transparency is about communication. We have Monday, Wednesday, and Friday press briefings at 8.30 every morning to tell people what to expect from COVID-19 and tell people what they need to do to stay safe. The County Council has oversight commi committee hearings every week or every other week where my administration presents the programming of the CARES Act Fund and the County Council gives us feedback and direction. I value that relationship, I value their involvement, and we have the most transparent administration in the history of county government. Thank you. Uh, and Kayla, how are we doing? No, we still can't hear you. Uh, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna carry on. <laughs> Maybe you might have to restart or something, Kayla. Um, I do see we got the banner fixed, so that's one thing. We're just gonna, we're gonna plug along. So the next question is to County Assessor Zimmerman and Mr. Madhavani. In the pre-debate survey, we asked a question about access to affordable housing and reducing evictions in St. Louis County. In your answers, you both mentioned the need for increased financial support to low-income tenants to help cover rent and utilities. Would you also be in favor of more sweeping policy solutions like just cause evictions, right to counsel in eviction cases, and or rent control? Let's start with you on that question, County Assessor Zimmerman. Uh, not just in favor, strongly in favor. Uh, and what I'd also like to see happen is an urgent and rapid effort to go after problem landlords, and in particular, problem out-of-state landlords. The poster child for that is uh, the TEH company, uh, where the conduct, in my judgment, is very likely criminal uh, in the way that renters have been taken advantage of. So let's say this as clearly as possible. Um, eviction is a public health crisis. In the middle of a pandemic, if we continue to allow the same old, same old, the status quo that allows people to abuse process and throw folks out on the street, then county government can give with one hand, but it takes away with the other. And that's not okay. So the answer to that question is not just yes, it's hell yes. Thank you. And Mr. Madhavani, same question regarding policy solutions like just cause evictions, right to counsel in eviction cases and or rent control. Yeah, there are a number of things that we should be uh, doing here in order to limit the, uh, the uh, evictions, especially at this particular time. First of all, there needs to be funding for social services support to, uh, to provide guidance to uh, tenants uh, who are having uh, issues with their rent. Secondly, we should be uh, coordinating uh, with the uh, Legal Aid Society more effectively and with the uh, bar associations in order to get some pro bono uh, legal representation of uh, tenants. Uh, we need to uh, uh, bar uh, more uh, diligently illegal lockouts, have more caseworkers. Uh, there's a lot that should be done uh, here. Uh, 
uh, and uh, and it's all been brought about by uh, uh, brought to our attention more by COVID. Uh, the other thing is we can focus on these uh, nuisance ordinances, which uh, I think in many cases uh, uh, cause uh, uh, evictions proceedings uh, uh, unfairly. Thank you. Uh, we're going to move to the next question. Kayla? Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. You want to take All oh, right. I'm back. <laughs> I've never left. Apologies <laughs> for that. Um, in your survey responses, I'm sorry, this question is to all candidates. In your survey responses, you all spoke to some of the health considerations of school districts in developing reopening plans. But for thousands of parents in St. Louis County, one of the major questions that they are facing is how they can possibly carry on with their lives and continue to do their jobs if their children do not have anywhere to go during the day. For some, um, homeschooling is impossible, including because not all homes are equipped with the necessary technology. So understanding the county executive does not actually control the school districts, how will you use your platform and the office of the county executive to counsel and advocate with the school districts to best meet the needs of St. Louis County families? County Executive Page, we will begin with you. Well, thank you. So we've already been working closely with the school districts. We've had numerous meetings since the first decision to close schools. The superintendents and their representatives met with my health director and I sat in in some of those meetings. We made those decisions together, but school closings really um, recognize how important public schools are in our lives and how, um, how deeply and closely held the, the parents are to the, to the well-being of their kids. The decisions about school closings in St. Louis County will be made with, uh, pub with our public health officials, our superintendents and our pediatricians working on a local policy. And those guidelines are now posted on our website at sdlcorona.com. That was a long process and a team effort. We won't be closing schools or opening schools in St. Louis County based on political pressure uh, from the president or anyone else. We'll make our decisions based on the local conditions here on St. Louis County and the guidance of our public health experts, our pediatricians, and our superintendents. We'll do what's best for the kids, and those, those decisions That's will always fine. be made with the welfare of the public. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Tolliver, same question. So as a single mom of two small children, I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. This is this actually is my problem. Um, but I do believe that a lot of a lot of teaching, education, and communication between the executive offices and the boards of education within the county um, so that they can come to a reasonable decision that works for both the working parents and the students. Because we definitely understand that the health crisis, it's, it's controversial in that it is one thing to say that children under nine don't need to wear masks, but then we also understand that children under nine are the ones who are most likely to be, to be spreaders in the school, but then you come home to your parents and they've been at work all day. And asymp being asymptomatic is also problematic. Um, so I think that um, in being able to help the parents, I think that there should be conversations with all people that are able to provide aid, be it the YMCA, be it the social services offices, and these departments where they do offer home health care, where they offer um, home education systems so um, that we can work together to find to find reasonable solutions for everybody because it's not going to be the same. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Montalbano. Failure of the county executive office over long term to intervene with our educational outcomes 
uh, has been a challenge for many years. And I don't understand how the county executives prior to this point in time and today have been as uh, uninvolved in seeing to uh, more effective educational outcomes than they, uh, than they have been. Uh, and with respect to these plans, you know, there's an incredible amount of federal funding still available uh, to provide solutions like what we can do with kids who are gonna have to go back to school. My understanding is that according to the website, uh, the administration has spent uh, less than 30 million of the $173 million that was allocated by the federal government. Less than 30 million today, months after the money was received, and we're still just offered uh, promises around uh, what kind of uh, programs can be uh, implemented. I think that's uh, uh, negligent, and I think we need to do better with the funds that are already available. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and last, County Assessor Zimmerman. So let's be real. Distance learning and doing it on the iPad and all that stuff probably sounds great. If you're sitting in an affluent school district, if you have the good fortune to have at least one parent home from work all the time, and if the school district has the funds to afford it. But if this doesn't cause us as a region to open our eyes to the profound educational disparities we live with every day, then nothing will. So let's say it straight up. The amount of funding that is provided and spent per kid in places like the Normandy and the Riverview Garden School District is a fraction of what it is in places like the Clayton and Ladue School District. At the same time as this region charges a poverty tax, at the same time as the property tax rate to support those school districts winds up being double what it is in Clayton and Ladue. So if we want to face this head on, we can't just have some platitudes about how wonderful distance learning is and how we all need to happily work together. We have an educational crisis in this region, and it is a crisis that is not distributed equally, and the pandemic has made it worse. So it's time for some leadership rather than some platitudes. Thank you, County Assessor Zimmerman. Uh, County Executive Page, we're gonna offer you 30 seconds for a rebuttal. Well, we're in the position where we are in our county school districts because of decades of inadequate funding from the state, uh, which has fund schools in most jurisdictions. So the County Executive Office does work closely with school districts to provide social service support, and public health support, especially in those high need districts. We worked very closely with our food relief program and the volunteers in the school districts for the kids that received free and reduced price lunches to make sure school buses were running routes and delivering lunches when the schools were closed. We'll continue those partnerships. Thank you. We asked you all to name systemic challenges that you have that have been highlighted by the COVID-19 pandemic. County Executive Page and Ms. Tolliver, you both focused your answers in part on systemic racism. Can you please explain what the pandemic has helped to reveal about the nature of systemic racism and what policy responses you believe this challenge demands? Let's start with you, County Executive Page. Well, what this pandemic has shown is what we've known for years. Systemic racism in our community touches many things, but it also touches access to healthcare and health equity. Health equity has many components, not just whether or not you can see a doctor, but we know that we knew that COVID-19 would impact our, uh, some of our communities, our African-American communities more than others. That's why we, we devoted our resources there. That's why we are giving away masks and PPE, over 1.5 million masks in our county, many of them in the areas that need them the most. That's why we have uh, extra testing facilities, mobile testing facilities in the areas that need them the most. 
And that's why when we appropriated our CARES Act funds in the appropriation language, we made sure that it was clear that these funds would go to the areas that were impacted the most. And that's what we've done through food relief, through um, uh, housing support, to prevent homelessness, for rental assistance, uh, for, account, for, uh, for families, for mortgage assistance, for low income and median families as well. Thank you. Ms. Tolliver, uh, can you please explain what this pandemic has helped to reveal about the nature of systemic racism and what policy responses you believe this challenge demands? Yes, ma'am. So again, I think, I believe that the systemic racism is not new. It's not something that we just found out about. I do believe that the pandemic highlighted only because it's making it's making the news. It's making it to people's cell phones because people are people are being able to see it with their own eyes. They're being able to see not receiving testing. They're being able to see not not being adequately served in their communities, be it the health food stores or being being evicted from their apartments. Um, they're saying that we're seeing it in multiple different ways. Not to not to even mention. Um, the things that are happening with the um, with the police forces and the things that are happening to people of color um, throughout this. So the pandemic really just it it put a it put a flashlight on. And Dr. Fauci said it best that it the um, he health disparity has existed for many many years. So I definitely believe that there are, there are absolutely health programs that should be put into place to prevent the pre that. To, to aid in the pre-existing conditions um, that do exist in the African-American community specifically, because it's one thing to say that COVID is affecting this community. It's another thing when you don't actually do anything about why. Thank you. The next question is again to all candidates. When asked about public safety priorities, you gave a range of responses from boosting diversity and reforming use of force policies in police departments to increase transparency to focusing on violent crime. In recent weeks, local and national advocates have focused their attention on shifting budget priorities away from the criminal legal system and into much needed community services to address the root causes of crime. Do you support reallocating money from police and jails to increase St. Louis County's investment in education, childcare, public spaces and infrastructure, mental health jobs, and more? We're gonna start with you, Mr. Matavani. Uh, I do not. Uh, I do not su uh, support uh, that uh, uh, substitution of funds. I do support the enhancement of investment in all of those areas uh, uh, in education and the provision of social services uh, and uh, uh, housing and health uh, and the like. I do not believe that in a community where violent crime is as big of an issue as this one, where three years ago the voters went to a poll, went to the polls all across the community and voted in favor of expanding investments in police services, we should be uh, defunding those programs in order to meet our other responsibilities. And they are responsibilities and they have to be met. But, but uh, because of the violent crime levels within our community, I don't favor the notion of, uh, of, of defund defunding the police until we've made progress along the lines of mitigation of violent crime. Thank you. County Assessor. 
So I'm a strong supporter of the kind of work that, for example, our new county prosecutor has done to um, divert people who have no business in the criminal justice system and becoming victims of mass incarceration away from it. And uh, that needs to follow not just from the criminal justice system at the courts level, um, but it also needs to go directly to the law enforcement level. So I support reimagining policing to get to a place where we treat drug addiction as a disease first, rather than as a crime first, where guns and batons are a last resort rather than the first option. Because frankly, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so if you send in a hammer to deal with every problem, then what you're gonna see is hammering. So what we need to do, it's much more broad than just the county police department, though it is absolutely true that there is work we need to start doing right now to emphasize and prioritize social services where law enforcement is not necessary. But we also need to look seriously at getting the SROs out of the schools, ending the school to prison pipeline, providing social services where appropriate so that we can reimagine this community wide. That's time. I do want to have a quick follow up because the question is specifically about whether you support a reallocation of funds away from police and jails towards some of these other social services. So 30 seconds follow up on that. Sure. Specifically, I'm a, I'm a strong supporter of investing more in the kinds of social services that we're talking about. And if we do law enforcement right, then yeah, we are going to need less money for jails. But at the same time, let, let's add a caution, and I hope we can talk about this later, right? There has been a criminal misappropriation of funds with regard to where money is being spent at the St. Louis County Jail right now with disastrous consequences. And I'm not going to promise anything here that might lead to more loss of lives in the county's incarceration system. Thank you. Uh, county Executive Page, do you need me to repeat the question? No, I understand uh, the conversation about uh, defunding the police. Now, uh, what I believe is that our police department should be accountable for their actions and their inactions. They should be well-staffed and well-trained. And that's why I ordered the top to bottom review of county government. Uh, I do believe that some of those social services should be embedded within the police department. Uh, and we don't necessarily need an officer uh, to respond to every 911 call. Sometimes we need a nurse to deal with a substance abuse problem or a social a social worker to deal with a mental health problem. We'll understand that better after our full evaluation of county government. We know that uh, we talked about systemic racism and reparations. We know that we have to reinvest in our community and reinvest and, and recognize decades of economic and racial segregation. That investment doesn't necessarily have to come from funding for the police department. We need to have a strong and robust police department that's well-trained, following best practices, and is appropriate in all of its actions and inactions. Thank you. And Ms. Tolliver, same question. Thank you. So I do not believe, as I, if I heard the question correctly, I don't believe that the words defunded were part of the question. I definitely believe I heard reallocation. So I do believe that appropriating the, the funds to those social services that you, that you have mentioned, I do believe that that will actually help with, with the, with the um, with the crime rate, I believe if there if people are better housed, better employed, if they're better educated, I do believe that that will that will begin to decline the need for so many police officers. Um, I also think that that money could also be reallocated within the police department to make sure that they are better educated, that they are bet that they are better um, informed as to what it is that they are protecting and serving. Likewise, I definitely think that the, when you're going to 
make the police calls, that a partnership with social services, with education, with nurses, um, with the homeless shelters, all of those things, the people that are better able to service that, I do not believe that police should be able to answer every call for everything because it's not appropriate. Thank you. And that concludes round one. We will now turn to round two, which will focus on questions from the people submitted during registration. Thank you. Um, so this question is going to go to all the candidates. Describe your plan to bring more jobs and economic development to St. Louis County. Please also describe how you will ensure that this development is equitable and creates opportunities for underserved and economically depressed communities in the county. We begin with you, Ms. Tolliver. Thank you. So I, I would love to say the job fair would solve all of our issues, but it simply will not. But I do believe that when we, when, we re, when we look at the businesses that exist right now and we look at the places where business kids could open, when we look at our small businesses, we can always enhance what we already have. But especially in North County, there are definitely places where they are trying to build small businesses. They are specifically trying to build more um, Black-owned businesses and things of that nature, but they are not receiving the funding or the support or the um, appropriate budgeting to make sure that those things happen. So I think that if you're talking about diversity, I think that we should absolutely look at the, um, the corporate practices of a lot of these major companies that are within the county, but also look at the small businesses that are trying to, that are trying to get their feet off the ground because we can absolutely make St. Louis a thriving city again. We can make it so that we are eliminating a lot of these disparities within the workforce and we can provide more, more employment for the, for the people who are seeking them by making sure that the businesses that need to hire them are able to be up and running. Thanks. Thank you. County Assessor Zimmerman. The recent history of corruption and pay to play with the Economic Development Partnership and the Port Authority and other pieces of county government is despicable. Uh, and what is deeply troubling is that the practice of no-bid contracting, the practice of ignoring the county's own minority contracting ordinances or just going around it when inconvenient for current leadership continues to this day. So uh, if step one for economic development is to finally flush the pay-to-play and the backroom deals out of the system, then step two is to make sure that the county really is contracting with and really doing business with the people that it serves and the people who are of this community. And that's why it's so unacceptable to ignore the MBE ordinance as the county most recently did uh, with constructing the so-called makeshift morgue with those federal dollars. And again, I want to come back to the siphoning off of federal CARES Act money for political slush funds. Right? There's only so many of these resources to go around, and it is critically important that every dollar be spent to get the best bang for your buck right here in this community. Thank you. County Executive Page. Thank you. Well, Taki, the original question was about the economy. I think we have to recognize people are hurting COVID-19. Um, it's three buckets, really, of, of crisis, the public health crisis, humanitarian crisis, and the economic crisis. But if we botch the public health piece, then the, economic, the economics will not recover. And we, that was even recognized with our recent review of our bond ratings. All three bond rating agencies recognized our progress, and one specifically uh, mentioned that the county government was in good position moving forward uh, financially because of our early stay-at-home orders and our decision to stop all non-emergency spending 
early in the process. There are many pieces to this. We've even added 3,400, 3,500 jobs in April during the COVID pandemic. But moving forward, the way we manage our economy will depend on a close and thoughtful management of the, the public health pandemic so we don't have to go backwards in our, our stay-at-home orders. Thank you. Mr. Montavani? So this question is not about a contract. Yeah, this is about, uh, this question is about creating economic uh, growth. Uh, and uh, you deal with creating economic growth both on a macro and on a neighborhood uh, basis. On a macro basis, our economic development agencies are dysfunctional. There has to be some re-coordination of them. We have to focus on our beachheads of opportunity, which include things like UMSL, and uh, financial services industry and bio and life sciences and- I'm, I'm very sorry, Dr. Page, I think you're off mute. So we're getting some sound. Now with respect to uh, uh, focusing on underserved neighborhood, neighborhoods, I have a North County uh, economic development plan that includes a cleaning up the neighborhoods. Uh, for anybody who has not driven through North County, you should do so and see some of the blight that is ignored by the current administration. We have to provide more minority business support, which includes things uh, like uh, uh, incubators and mentors and access to networks and financing uh, and the like. We have to encourage home ownership uh, and eliminate uh, uh, the wealth gaps wherever we can. There's a whole range of policies that are crucial for the growth of this uh, community, both on a macro and on a micro basis. Thank you. Uh, all right, the next question is for Ms. Tolliver and County Assessor Zimmerman. One of the debate registrants submitted this question. I would like to know the candidate's commitment to fully funding Metro Transit operations, specifically Metrobus. Also, are they willing to commit to funding a low-income fare discount program for transit riders? Let's start with you, Ms. Tolliver. So I definitely believe that the metro system is a, a huge part of a lot of people's lives. Not everybody has access to cars, not everybody has access to funds for an Uber driver or a taxi. So I, I definitely think that there are multiple places that you can go where you receive discounts for being a student or for being a senior or for being under a certain age. So there's, no, there's absolutely no reason why there should not be some sort of discount system. In the in the metro bus system as well, um, because we'll give you we'll give a discount for a movie theater, but if you can't get to the movie theater because the bus ride is too high, then that that's problematic in in and of itself. But I definitely think that the um, that the the system for for the buses as as it is now needs to be looked at in relations to exactly where the buses are going and which communities that they are serving. Because if you if you are taking away from the bus fares. Or, or I say the bus routes in the lower socioeconomic um, communities where they are most needed, then that's problematic if there are more buses in areas where they don't actually need them. So there are, ways to, there are ways to reappropriate those funds. Thank you. Same question, County Assessor Zimmerman. Thanks, Blake. Uh, I, I think Dr. Tolliver, I hope I can call you Dr. Tolliver, maybe, maybe a few more weeks. Uh, I think she's on the right track, but, uh, but respectfully, I think I'd go a little further and I would direct folks to look at uh, Kansas City's recent experiment uh, with making transit straight up free. 
and some of the direction that other more progressive metropolitan areas have gone. Um, look, I have a record here. You can go back and look at me from my time in Jefferson City. I'm a lifelong advocate for better funding of and access to public transit. And uh, it particularly concerns me when I see regional leaders in this town squabbling with one another about stuff like who pays for 18 cops on the Metrolink, right? What is critically important is that people can get to work and have the lifeline that public transit represents. And the other thing that needs to be said here, it's not part of your question, but it's critically important. This region has gotten shortchanged for decades by the Missouri Department of Transportation, which does not pay its fair share for our public transit as state transit departments do in most other states. And it's time to stop playing footsie with the Republican leadership in Jefferson City. And it's time for us to stand up and loudly fight for what's ours. Thank you. This question is for all four candidates. St. Louis City prohibit, uh, St. Louis County, sorry. <laughs> St. Louis County prohibits source of income discrimination by landlords. Um, such that tenants can't be discriminated against based upon participation in housing assistance programs like Section 8. Um, do you, I'm sorry, I was correct, St. Louis City. Do you support such a prohibition of on source of income discrimination in St. Louis County? Why or why not? I'll repeat the question because I stated it incorrectly. Do you support such a prohibition of source of income discrimination in St. Louis County? Why or why not? All four candidates will answer. We will start with you, County Executive Page. Well, first of all, affordable housing is a basic human right, and that's been the tenet of my administration since I first came into office. I'm the only one here who's fought the Trump administration and won. When I first came into office, I was presented with a letter and a demand that I sign off on the destruction and demolition of public housing in Wellston, and we said no. We put together a program to, to um, rebuild that housing and working with our partners in the community, and we'll be uh, announcing uh, there's three there's three submitted proposals for re rebuilding that and we'll be announcing a winner of that in August working with our housing fund. I do believe that uh, source of income protection is a problem. We have enough problems in St. Louis County finding uh, landlords that will accept these vouchers and that's something we can do legislatively in St. Louis County. Unfortunately, the only thing we can do is uh, is implement that in unincorporated St. Louis County and we need to find a pathway to do it regionally and I'll continue the conversation with the County Council to do that. That's important to me. I'd like to see it happen. I would support it and would like to move forward with it. Thank you. Mr. Montavani. I think that's exactly right relative to the uh, uh, extension of the program throughout St. Louis County. Uh, I would be open uh, to that. Uh, to that. Uh, I think it's a reasonable uh, consideration. Uh, I think uh, only uh, enacting uh, that provision in unincorporated areas of St. Louis County uh, is uh, too limited and it creates uh, another situation where there are these regional discrepancies across uh, policies. There are a lot of things that should, <coughs> excuse me, that should be done in affordable housing. Uh, we, should, we should be expanding greenlining uh, proposals. The trust fund needs to be better um, uh, funded. Uh, and, uh, uh, and we have to continue to lobby for the uh, extension of the low-income tax credit. There are a lot of things that we should do in order to create more uh, low-income access in our community, which ultimately is necessary to uh, avoid uh, this segregated community, segregated community that we're all so familiar with. Thank you. Uh, County Assessor Zimmerman. So the answer to the question is yes. 
And having said an enthusiastic and unambiguous yes, um, let's talk about the underpinnings of the challenge here. Um, let us not forget about the racist history of housing, construction, and development in the St. Louis County that we live in, because it's critical to understand why we're confronting these problems today. St. Louis County was built on a foundation of structural racism. It was built on a foundation of inappropriate restrictive covenants in the World War II era, followed by where the interstates were built and followed by some of the very neighborhooding decisions that were made at that time. This community was built to create the Del Mar Divide and that is the direct reason for all of the housing challenges that everyone is tap dancing around now. And it's time to stop tap dancing around it. It's time to acknowledge it and work to address it. Thank you. And Ms. Tolliver. So I would I would honestly have to agree with everyone. I don't think I don't think that I think it's heartless if anybody were to say, you know what? No, we should just we should take people out of their homes. Um, as Zimmerman has said, there I mean, redlining is a real thing. The fact that predatory lending is a real thing. The fact that we that we started this off with the talking about evicting people from their homes. Honestly, that is a injustice um, as far as it goes for economics, for healthcare, for social justices, and for um, environmental racism. Like these things do exist. So I definitely think that if, when we're talking about um, the um, lending practices or being able to whether or not they were will accept that you don't make enough money to live somewhere that is absolutely systemic that is not that is not an accident that is absolutely by design um, and it has been that way for for decades and I think that we need to get, we need to be more in partnership with the citizens than we are with the people who are trying to house them because a lot of them they don't live here they don't come from here they don't know these residents they feel they feel no loyalties to these people and in order to in order to prevent homelessness we have to we have to make sure people have places to go all right the next question is for mr madhavani and county executive page how will your administration further protections for the lgbtq community particularly members of the trans community who continue to face heightened levels of violence, housing insecurity, and discrimination across many spheres. I'll start with you, Mr. Montavani. Well, look, uh, it, it, it feels to me that, the, uh, that all we have to do here is uh, enforce the law. Uh, the, the law is uh, clear and, uh, and we may have to dedicate more resources from a policing standpoint uh, in order to guarantee that uh, uh, the, uh, the community, uh, specifically the trans community, uh, is not uh, targeted and whatnot. Uh, we create a task force within the police department in order to provide uh, protect, protection uh, and to focus on those kinds of hate crimes. Uh, but I believe the laws are uh, available if we have the will to uh, enforce them, which if I were uh, the county executive, we would certainly be aggressive in doing. County Executive Page. Thank you. From the first days of my administration, I met with leaders in the community to address these issues and we've implemented many policies to do so. My advocacy in this and uh, speaking up for the, for the LGBT community is longstanding and well known. Uh, Representative Ian Mackey has endorsed me. He is a leading voice for uh, LGBT rights in the state legislature. And as a state representative, I frequently spo uh, sponsor the Non-Discrimination Act and have advocated for that uh, in my administration. 
that I will continue to work with the leadership to identify any issues in county government that we can address. We'll continue to enforce the laws. We'll continue to work with my director of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the new inclusion unit that's been developed in the police department. Now, these are all opportunities. Obviously, uh, uh, you know, enforcing existing laws is important, but we also have to recognize that this is a constant conversation, a constant continuous quality improvement project, always looking for ways to make the pathway easier and eliminate barriers. Thank you. This next question is would, the would you Would you permit me 30 seconds to respond to that? Sure, you can take 30 seconds. Thank you. Uh, since the county executive brought up his record in the legislature, I think it's appropriate for folks to know uh, that he also voted for a constitutional amendment that would define marriage as being exclusively between a man and a woman. I would encourage everyone to look at the differences in our legislative record and maybe then ask him some tough questions about why his administration sent lawyers to defend discrimination against gay people in the St. Louis County Police Department. There is a difference here. Check the record. I'm gonna give you a 30 second rebuttal, uh, County Executive Page, and then we'll close this question out. Well, thank you. And I know that it's going to be very difficult today to give me the opportunity to respond to every one of Jake's lies, but this really is one of the biggest ones. And I think it's important and I'm grateful for the response. I did not vote in the way he has described. I voted to allow this to be placed on the ballot for voters in Missouri to vote on it. But again, this, is, this misrepresentation of my record is almost the cornerstone or theme of Jake's campaign. My record here is strong. I'm proud of my record and I'll stand by it. I'll stand by my relationships, and I'll stand by my continued advocacy. But this That's is a pattern here that is extraordinarily disturbing. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. This Can next question. Could I make a statement? This next question. Thank you. This next question is for all the candidates. Over the past two years, there have been different attempts to reunify St. Louis City and County. What is your position on the city and county merger, and why? We're going to start with you, County Assessor Zimmerman. So the, the Better Together project failed for a very good reason. And the reason that it failed uh, was that it was concocted in a back room by uh, a bunch of the big corporate money in this town, the same money that's supporting two of my opponents in this race. Uh, and they're handpicked Republican political consultants. And their, uh, their big strategy was to uh, come up with what they thought of as reform, tell the community that this is good for you. And if you don't like it, shove it down your throats by getting uh, voters in rural Missouri to do it for you. Um, that sort of astroturf politics is the antithesis of what I am about, and I find it outrageous. And I find it all the more outrageous because it gets in the way of all the real and urgent reform efforts that are needed in this region. Real reform comes from the bottom up, and it comes by working with the people, uh, not from what civic progress tells us is good for us. Thank you. Ms. Tolliver? Thank you. I've been asked this question a lot, actually. Um, I do not believe that a merger between the city and the county is appropriate at this time. However, I do believe that there are some things that the city is doing um, well that we could learn from, as well as there are definitely a lot of things that the county has been doing well that the city could learn from. I do believe that if we could open up the lines of communication so that we were aware more of what was going on in the city and they were more aware of what was going on here, that 
when the when the right time for a merger to come be it 5 10 20 years from now happens we are not it, it is seamless and we're not we're not somehow left in the dark as to how the city operates nor are they left in the dark about how we operate so i definitely think that there is some sort of communication that should be occurring between the um the broader um the, the broader leadership between the city and the county because to the the united states to everywhere else in missouri st louis is st louis including east st louis illinois we are all we are all st louis so i definitely think that communication should occur simply because uh, we don't know thank you mr montavani first of all what i'd like to say is what we just witnessed is why st louis can't progress we've got politicians who are arguing about stuff that happened five and 10 years ago instead of trying to focus on the future of our community. With respect to uh, Better Together and uh, Merger, Better Together was a hijack of an idea that uh, tends to focus on whether or not we can be more collaborative across our region. The fact is that the city and county are not competitors. This is St. Louis. We have to come to understand that this is one place and that our primary competition is not one another but that it is Kansas City and Indianapolis and Nashville. Until we recognize that our interests are joint, we will continue to be dysfunctional. Now, as a practical matter, we can collaborate if leaders will step up and be less parochial about their own interests, but there's a lot that should be done on this particular question. Uh, I don't believe a merger with a super governmental entity is appropriate. I do believe it's time for us to recognize that we need to come together as a region in order to promote ourselves more effectively across the nation. Thank you. County Executive Page. Well, first of all, Better Together wasn't about collaboration. It was about control and confrontation. But what we really need is regional cooperation that starts with leadership, that starts with leaders that are willing to work together on big issues. And we've done that. We've worked together on one of the biggest challenges that we've had in 100 years in, in, St. Louis, in St. Louis County, and that was a response to COVID-19. I'm on the phone uh, once a week or, or more with the leaders of our surrounding counties, with the leaders of the city of St. Louis and our health departments are in constant communication. But our response to COVID-19, the pandemic task force, that was a great example of what we need to do. Regional cooperation will come when regional leaders work together, when we build trust, and when we tackle the big issues, the big issues that we have in front of us, civil rights, systemic racism. There's a lot we can work on together. There's a lot that doesn't respect our, our borders, but it starts with leadership. It starts with cooperation. It starts with relationships. It starts with trust. Thank you. This concludes round two. We are halfway done. Uh, in round three, candidates will answer questions from our partners. Questions in this round were submitted by the 10 organizational partners uh, that are sponsoring this debate. All four candidates will answer, will answer each question in this round. Um, and we will let you know the order for each question. Sister Song defines reproductive justice as the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. How do you define reproductive justice and what will you do as county executive to advance reproductive justice in St. Louis County? We'll start with you, County Executive Page. Well, first of all, we recognize the leaders of this conversation, Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and, and others, and we, we, have, we work with them. We identify, we work on goals they identify, and we take on those challenges. 
Uh, some of this is in the domain of, of local government and some of it isn't, but when we have the opportunity, we speak up. And uh, in uh, the Justice Center, we've already started initiating programs that, that treat our inmates better and, and respect uh, the women who are in our, our, um, in our care. We've given away pre, uh, free menstrual products. We've uh, stopped the shackling of pregnant women, uh, pregnant people in our, in our uh, Justice Services Center. We, we identify issues where we can improve health and opportunity. We, we respect, we demonstrate respect, we work with our regional partners, we work with advocates, and we listen to what they have to say. And anything that's under the control of county government, we implement those changes. Anything that's under the control of state government, we speak up. I was one of the first ones to speak up and, and uh, recognize that the recent uh, limit on, on abortions uh, in that legislation should be vetoed. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Montavani. Fundamental goal of a uh, public servant is to demonstrate compassion uh, with respect to all of uh, our communities. Uh, I, I uh, totally concur with the notion that uh, every individual uh, has the right uh, to uh, determine uh, how uh, their uh, how their body uh, is uh, uh, develops and, and whatnot. And I would uh, do everything within my power to make certain that those rights are respected uh, across the board. Uh, uh, anyone who, who feels like somehow or other we should be taking a step back uh, into the past on these kinds of issues, uh, I think uh, reflects a fundamental misunderstanding of uh, the progress of history and where we should be headed uh, with respect to our, our brothers and sisters. Thank you. Ms. Tolliver? Thank you. So I believe the question was to how do, how do I define reproductive justice? I definitely believe that all justice is about people having the right to do the things that are fair, just, and equitable. And I think that there are things that there should not necessarily be up for, up for up the opinions of others. What a, what a female does with her body that what, what she's able to do should not be something that is decided upon um, by a room full of people who may or may not have anything to do with, with the reproductive um, process happening in a female body. So I definitely, I definitely believe that justice is when, when I can receive, um, as I'm sorry, as the only female on, on the panel, um, when I can receive birth control, when I can, when, when if, if I were ever to say that I wanted an abortion, that should be a, that should be a right. Um, I definitely think that um, I agree with Dr. Page that this is absolutely not something that is a, something that the local government is something that they can actually do, but it's bigger than that. And I feel like we should, we should treat it as such. And County Assessor Zimmerman. Well, local government certainly does have a role to play here. And let's say it clearly, reproductive justice and women's reproductive health care is health care, period, full stop. Um, again, I have a record here and you can judge me by it. Uh, I've been not just a vote, but a voice. Um, you know, many Democrats go to Jefferson City and dutifully cast that uh, pro-choice vote and then retreat to the shadows when anyone asks about it. I have been an advocate for women's reproductive rights for my entire career. I'm proud to have the endorsement of both NARAL and Planned Parenthood advocates in this race. And uh, what I wanna say is that there are ideological warriors in Jefferson City 
right now trying to do anything they can to shut down the last remaining clinic in this state. We have a state healthcare director, the same person who we are supposed to deal with on COVID, who thinks it is appropriate to track women's menstrual cycles. This is not a time to play footsie and to play nicey-nice with this so-called leadership. This is a time for disobedience. This is a time for this region to stand up and say no. That's time. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, one criticism of St. Louis County's current appointment process is that the majority of appointees are white and male. Also, we continue to see an underrepresentation of minority contractors and contracts with St. Louis County. What is your strategy for, for changing these outcomes with respect to both appointments and contracting? And how will you ensure that your directives to various departments regarding outcomes for diversity and staffing and services are actually carried out? We're going to start with you, County Assessor Zimmerman. Thank you very much. This uh, is a critically important question because county government needs to look like the people it serves and it needs to not be through tokenism, through hiring people into um, positions of alleged importance, but then conveniently ignoring those folks when the real decisions get made. It doesn't just matter what the names are on the masthead. It matters who's in the room when the real decisions happen. And when you have real, accountable, diverse leadership, then you don't have no-bid contracts being issued in the dead of the night while ignoring the county's minority contracting uh, ordinances. And you don't have uh, the same kind of nonsense and the same kind of good old boys network that has afflicted St. Louis County politics for far too long. So what I would say here is simply this. Uh, judge me by my record of running an accountable office in St. Louis County government, um, because I do have a record of hiring and promoting people of color and more broadly a diverse staff that does look like the community that we serve in the management levels of my office and not just in the lower ranks. Um, thank you. Uh, County Executive Page. Thank you. First of all, um, every once in a while we get a question that isn't exactly accurate in its premise and we should recognize that. In my administration, the appointments of minorities and women to boards and commissions has doubled. County government has 74 boards and commissions, over 450 appointments to those boards and commissions. Uh, they were all or nearly every one of them were vacant on expired terms uh, when I came into office. It hadn't been intended to in five years. And in the past year, we worked through them very methodically to make sure we had good people uh, with good ideas, progressive ideas, avoided, uh, appointed to these positions that were representative of the county government. We have a good record there, and I'll stand on that record. Under my administration, and at first as a council member, I, I passed the first uh, minority contracting bill in St. Louis County. I worked to implement that bill in county government, will continue to do so. I was, a tie, I was a vote to override the veto of the previous administration to get that in process and progress and we'll continue to That's work time. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Ms. Tolliver. Part of why I decided to run is exactly what your question said. It was the idea that when you look at leadership, they usually are older white males. Um, and I said that there was never, there was never a, a politician that looked like me that was in charge of the things that my community was actually in need of. And that is why I decided to step up. Um, as far as it goes, as far as diversifying um, more of the 
the building and the codes and things of that nature, that also starts with diversifying leadership. As um, Mr. Zimmerman had said, you have to diversify the leadership that is governing these things. You have to educate, you have to, you have to diversify those that are educated because you're saying that you're not, you're not hiring these people because they're not qualified. Well, we need to, we need to work on the, on, on qualifying these people because they exist. They're there, but, it, but they're, they're not given opportunities. So I definitely think that if we, if we can diversify the leadership, um, that we can absolutely stand to diversify the workforce because, because those, those people of color or those uh, women, they will have a seat at the table. Yeah. And Mr. Marzalani. Uh, first of all, I think I'd like to agree with uh, County Executive uh, Page about the fact that they've done some good work relative to appointment uh, on boards uh, and commissions. At least, at least with respect to filling those positions, uh, I think they've done uh, good work. Uh, on the other hand, look, um, appointing people to low-level boards and commissions is not what this question is all about. The key appointments are department heads and positions of leadership. We've seen too many times in this country where people of color are appointed to positions in diversity and inclusion and not given opportunity to provide enterprise level leadership. That's the key appointment. And I don't think we've done very well in that in St. Louis County. Uh, the, the, the appointment of the St. Louis County Police Chief is a reasonable example of that in light of the fact that there was an African-American uh, of higher rank, uh, well thought of, who got passed over in, fa in favor of a, a, a white uh, a female. Secondly, with respect to minority contracting, uh, I am at a loss to explain why we limit these considerations to construction. I don't know why we don't consider minority uh, representation on contracts across the full range of county uh, contracts. That's the way you create wealth within the African-American community. Thank you. Uh, what is the responsibility of the county executive in contributing to the global fight against climate change? What specific policy actions will you take to ensure that greenhouse gas emissions and the overall carbon footprint are reduced in St. Louis County? We'll start with you, Mr. Manabani. Look, uh, climate change is an existential challenge of our, uh, of our time. It is important that all of us, whether you're running the St. Louis County government or a citizen, is focused on what we can do to enhance uh, the reduction of our carbon, carbon footprint. I would be as aggressive as I can be relative to, those, uh, relative to those issues. I must also admit, however, that it is important for us to create economic growth within our region. It is important for us to recognize that absent growth of economic activity within our region, we're not going to have the jobs, we're not going to have the resources to deal with social uh, challenges. And so we have to balance these interests between doing what's right for the environment and doing what's right for economic growth. They're both possible. It's done all over the world and we can do both. Thank you. County Assessor Zimmerman. Yeah, you know, I have to reject the premise of that last answer that there's somehow a balance or a trade-off to be made here. There is no trade-off. If you don't do it right, if you don't commit yourself to green building, if you don't commit yourself to tackling this challenge head on, then you doom yourself to a world not just where we sentence people to die because of the negative impacts of climate change, but where the economic consequences will be devastating uh, as well. This is life or death for this community and for the world. And if we're not prepared to address it 
head on, then we're going to be part of the problem and not part of the solution. Thank you, Ms. Tolliver. Environmental justice is absolutely one of the platforms uh, of my campaign. And a lot of that is around the idea that we don't seem to care enough, if you will, about our environment. Right now, I know that there is a, there's an argument going on with the Sierra Club, of which I am a member, and the Home Builders Association about their construction of homes using more, um, more environmentally friendly things. And I know that, um, I know that they said that we used to be ranked at 44 of the state uh, or 43rd of the states for the um, environmental um, um, for the environmental ranking, and we we've, we've slipped down a notch to 44th. Um, I think that a lot of that is in that people people see they see the sun cup every morning i think that they take they take for granted that there are absolutely things that need to be done they need to be done in in a enforceable way but the way that we build our homes the way that we construct our buildings environmental racism is an absolute thing constructing businesses and buildings in neighborhoods without telling the residents the, of the environmental hazards that they that they might pose or exist is a problem that they can absolutely be handled um, through legislation and the leadership. Thank you. County Executive Page. Well, thank you. Uh, for the first time in the history of county, uh, the voice of uh, people who speak for the environment has been heard in county government. And that's why I have been endorsed by the Sierra Club for the work that I've done. I worked with them to improve building codes, energy conservation codes in St. Louis County. Um, it was an extraordinarily controversial uh, uh, position to take and certainly uh, got, me, got some powerful opponents for me in this election cycle. I've worked uh, on the Westlake landfill and worked with the advocates mom, uh, 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 in the moms group to uh, make sure that their voice was heard, to make sure that county government was engaged, that the county public health department was engaged to protect their interests and will continue to do so. When there was a proposal to uh, uh, use tax increment, increment financing in a floodplain in green space, um, uh, I spoke up. I said, "This, you know, stop. We need to talk about this. This is most. This is the most prudent path forward." And and we exercise the authority of county government to to stop that concept and stop those proposals. Uh, for the first time ever in the history of county government, uh, the mm -hmm. the voice of those with concerns about the environment is being heard, listened to, recognized, and implemented in a very thoughtful and progressive way. Thank you. Uh, next question. Many critical services that St. Louis County residents depend upon, like schools, fire departments, road maintenance, and various social services, are funded largely through tax revenues. Please explain why, sorry, please explain whether you believe uh, we have an equitable tax system and uh, whether you think it should change and how you believe it should change, if at all. Uh, we're going to start with Ms. Tolliver on this question. Thank you. So I literally had a conversation with a resident of Hazelwood um, on yesterday, and she, and she said that the sales tax in Hazelwood is the highest sales tax in the state, um, which to me says that there is an extreme amount of um, inequitable um, disbursement of taxing that is occurring in St. Louis County. Um, she also said that her nearest grocery store, and there's no grocery stores in Hazelwood, the nearest one is three miles away in, um, 
in um, a, a different, a different, a completely different area. Um, so I think that when we when we talk about the the taxes, um, we we have to we have to seriously sit down and look at the taxes in the various regions and understand where they're going, where they're coming from, and why they are what they are, and then come up with a better, a much better system so that everyone feels as though they, their tax dollars are are going towards what it is their community actually needs and that they're not being overtaxed to compensate for what someone else's community is absolutely in need of or that that people are being overtaxed in communities where they don't actually they don't mm -hmm. actually make the funds to um to appropriate those taxes that's time thank you i want to give you 30 extra seconds because i misread the question and um, the question really is whether both whether you believe the current tax system and structure uh, and balance of taxes in St. Louis County is equitable and if there aren't any particular changes you would make to the tax system. So I want to give you 30 more seconds um, to speak to any particular changes you would propose. So as I said, I do not at this point I do not believe it is equitable in the way that it is it is currently sourced out. Um, I believe that the the appropriate way to change it is to understand the the to be educated on the basis of why the taxes are dispersed the way they are, where the tax dollars are going, and why certain communities are being taxed higher um, than the than that of other communities, and try to find, figure out the best way to make sure that we can handle those situations without the residents of those particular areas suffering. Okay, thank you, uh, County Executive Page. Thank you. County government depends primarily on sales tax and property tax, but many, mo most of the property tax, the vast majority of the property tax in St. Louis County is levied by municipalities, fire districts, and school districts. The one, uh, any, any further increases in sales taxes, uh, we'd, we'd have to be very cautious about because as we know, sales taxes aren't equitable and tend to be a burden that are disproportionately carried by low-income residents. But uh, moving forward in St. Louis County, what we need more than anything is our internet sales tax. Uh, we need that because increasingly every year, more and more of our sales are shifted online. The declining revenue stream to St. Louis County makes it very difficult for us to provide the important services that we need in the county. Many of those services are services that we need to address the systemic racism that we've been talking about here all day. Thank you, Mr. Matavani. Oh, you're on mute, Mr. Matavani. You're on mute. Sorry about that. Yep. Uh, clearly our sales taxes in our region uh, have gotten uh, out of control. Uh, they are uh, maxed out uh, in many communities. Uh, they are regressive and essentially uh, <clears throat> unfair to uh, taxpayers. Uh, our tax assessment system uh, comes under fire pretty much everywhere uh, I go uh, relative to the uh, sort of inconsistent uh, uh, assessment uh, of uh, real property. Uh, the internet sales tax is exactly right. We're going to have to investigate that as our sales taxes are being uh, undermined. So I think it's important that we uh, call for a review of our uh, infrastructure on our uh, countywide tax uh, structure, uh, trying to make it fairer. Uh, and uh, uh, ascertain whether, whether there are other approaches that might allow us to mitigate some of the sales tax uh, revenue uh, in favor of specific taxes on other types of consumption. 
Thank you, County Assessor Zimmerman. Inequitable taxation has been the millstone around this region's neck for a generation. And it started off bad and it's only gotten worse over the past decade. And now we live in a St. Louis County where the property taxes on a similar piece of property, right? If you take the same Chevy and park it in Clayton, uh, you'll pay half as much property tax on that Chevy as if you take that Chevy and you drive it to Belnor and you park it in Belnor. Uh, that is a straight up form of poverty taxation. Uh, it is consistent across this region, North County and South County. The less affluent the part of town you live in, the higher your property taxes will be. It's outrageous and it requires a region-wide commitment to fix the problem. And then the other thing, the other culprit here that no one has pointed a finger at yet and that I think we really need to take square on is the misuse of economic development tools. There is a long and rich history in the St. Louis area of throwing your tax dollars at big corporate behemoths for inappropriate reasons, such as trying to get the Walmart on one side of the city line as opposed to the other. They call it economic development, but what it really is, is it's corporate welfare, and it's taking money out of the pockets of people who can least afford to have it taken. Uh, you're on mute. Thank you, Blake. Um, in a race like this one, with multiple candidates, St. Louis County's winner-take-all voting system makes it possible for a candidate to take office with support from a minority of voters. As county executive, would you support democratic reforms like runoff elections or ranked choice voting as a way to ensure that county leadership represents the democratic will of the St. Louis County residents? Start with you, Mr. Matavani. Yeah, indeed I would. And I have uh, uh, supported uh, the efforts uh, along those lines uh, throughout our region over the last uh, year uh, or two. I might quibble a little bit with the uh, premise of the question because in the general election, which will follow this primary election, it is presumptive that the winner of the election would have 50% of uh, the vote at that point in time. So the, the, the premise is correct at the primary level, uh, but perhaps not at the general election uh, level. But it's clear that uh, our uh, local election uh, procedures do not encourage participation, uh, do not uh, 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 encourage uh, others to, uh, to run for office, uh, and uh, they, they don't allow uh, sort of an informed electorate to make alternative choices uh, with respect to their preferences. And uh, I welcome uh, the, uh, the, the efforts to study uh, and to propose alternatives along these lines. Uh, you know, we are a minority relative to the kinds of elections we're having within this community for this office. Ms. Tolliver, same question. Thank you. So I actually would be, um, I would actually be compelled to agree with Mr. Montabani in the sense that why would, why would we not want the residents who are voting for us, that we're asking for their votes right now, why would we not want to give them the opportunity to make sure that they are absolutely sure and um, content with the decisions that are being made on their behalf because this is a decision that they have to live with. Um, and this is, I mean, when we look, even when we look at things like a presidential elections, um, the president does not care about the pothole that's in your street. Your local elections are those are the people that you need to have in office to make sure that your issues are um, addressed. So I absolutely believe that 
these people are looking for the people of the county are looking for change we're looking for progress we're looking for justice and i feel like giving them every available opportunity to make sure that their voices are heard and that their and that they know their votes count a lot of people don't vote because they don't think they count if we make sure that they know your vote counts if it if it was if it was not seemingly fair if it was at That's a time. Was indeed a runoff, allowed them to decide. We shouldn't decide that as leaders. Thank you. County Executive Page. I think it's important to recognize that when we have a historically uh, disadvantaged uh, segment of our community, and it's important for those individuals to be successful, not just because it's the right thing to do, because it is the, says the secret or the secret sauce to making sure that our community succeeds, to make sure that no no community is left behind. There's nothing more important in that advocacy than the ability to vote. We need to be making it easier to vote with mail-in ballots. We need to make it easier to vote by engaging more people, uh, getting more people in the process. Anything we can do to get more voting is better. As far as runoff elections in a Democratic primary, I haven't seen that applied anywhere in Missouri, but certainly be willing to talk about it. Runoff elections in municipal races and nonpartisan races, that's something that we should talk about and consider. What I would want to be cautious about is doing anything that underweights the voting block or the voting ability of uh, communities that have been disadvantaged. I want to make sure that their vote is heard and engaged in the process. Thank you. Uh, and County Assessor Zenderman. Uh, I'll forgive my opponents if they haven't been as engaged on the subject of electoral reform uh, and aren't familiar with the sorts of reforms that are best designed to help make sure that underrepresented communities and specifically communities of color get their voice heard. Um, there is a reason that uh, activists so strongly support reforms like ranked choice voting, like the single transferable vote, like the instant runoff and a number of other reforms, including some that were imposed by court order in this community in school district elections for very good reasons. I have a record here. I happen to have sponsored legislation to introduce instant runoff voting in the state of Missouri uh, over a decade ago before it was cool. So speaking as uh, the one person in this debate uh, who has years of history with the election reform movement, what I can say is that it is long past time to introduce those reforms in this community and in this state that other democracies around the world have that make sure that the principle of one person, one vote is not just a cute slogan, but is something that is actually implemented. All right, with that, we are, um, we've concluded round three and we are on to the fourth and final round of the debate which will be an opportunity to speak to topics in the news and respond to some of your critics. And many more of these will be directed at um, one or two candidates at a time. And we're gonna start on the subject. Sorry, I, I retract that. Let's start with a question um, for um, County Executive Page and County Assessor Zimmerman. County Assessor Zimmerman, in one of your mailers, you accused County Executive Page of voting to gut coverage for people with pre-existing conditions. County Executive Page, you've strongly denied this allegation. Can you please respond now to County Assessor Zimmerman's claim and give your account of what took place? Well, Sherwin, uh, in an election like this, when candidates don't have the ability to talk about accomplishments, they usually misrepresent or lie about their opponents. And this is a classic example 
this bill was clear. It um, actually prevented um, limiting pre-existing conditions, pre prevented uh, not allowing someone to have access to health insurance, a pregnant person uh, from having access to health insurance because they were pregnant. It also limited someone's ability to block health insurance uh, for adopted kids. These were two major advances in uh, pre-existing condition coverage, and that's why I voted for it. It, it did the exact opposite of what Mr. Zimmerman has said. Uh, Mr. Zimmerman, excuse me, County Accessor Zimmerman, how do you respond um, to the idea that you are making false claims for political expediency? Well, I guess I'd, I'd ask folks to simply look at the record and look at how every progressive Democrat from the St. Louis area and indeed across the state voted uh, on that bill. And you'll find me along with everyone else who shares our values on the right side of history and you'll find Sam on the other side. And the simple fact is that the language in that bill said loud and clear that it permitted insurance companies to deny access to coverage for pre-existing conditions. Um, Sam may have made a legislative judgment that that was a price worth swallowing for whatever else he wanted to get passed. Uh, I did not make that judgment, and the vast majority of my Democratic colleagues and certainly every progressive Democrat lined up with me. Uh, this question is for Mr. Martavani. Um, one of the longstanding criticisms of you going back to your first run for county executive is that you have supported a number of Republican candidates over the years, including former Governor Eric Greitens. How do you respond to that criticism in a Democratic primary and reassure voters that you are philosophically aligned? Well, thank you for the question. Uh, I welcome it. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, I, I, I am a Democrat. I'm not a Republican, never have been a Republican, have supported candidates from both parties uh, over the course of my years. I've come to uh, a, uh, my liberalism a little bit later uh, in life uh, as I've had uh, the chance to evolve as a thinker and as a, as a person. Uh, I believe in the key tenets of the Democratic Party, which I believe to be opportunity uh, and uh, equality for all, and that government is an instrument or a tool uh, to create a change uh, in order to benefit uh, the public. Uh, as I said, my, my views have evolved over time, and practically speaking, you know, I ran two years ago and got 90,000 votes from Democrats. Uh, I think that the issue has sort of been uh, asked uh, and, uh, and answered. Uh, and uh, uh, again, I, I had the opportunity to spend 2016 studying at the Kennedy School of Government, which had a big impact on the way I view some uh, issues. Uh, and I, I have evolved and uh, am a Democrat uh, uh, as solid as anybody else at this stage of my life. Thank you. Ms. Tolliver, this is your first time running for office of any sort. Do you have the experience and perspective that it takes to oversee a massive and complex operation like St. Louis County government? And absent a political record, how do you reassure primary voters that you are aligned with their values? So as I said, and now mind you, the first, the first um, debate that I've ever been a part of, or a forum actually that I was a part of, um, I was introducing myself. And a lot of it, the, a lot of my background, my history says I literally am very much in line with a lot of the residents simply because I, I come from the resident pool. Um, no one is born a politician. No one is born with history in politics. You may have, you may have um, family members who are in politics 
or you may um, have um, a close obsession, if you will, with politics, but no one is born a politician. Um, I have done many things um, in my, again, in my few years, I've taken on several leadership roles in major in, in major businesses, both nonprofit and health, health related, and as well as education. And I definitely believe that communication and education are huge parts of what makes a, um, a business able to function and run. And I think that by you by utilizing the the best of the best, because I'm not doing this by myself, um, utilizing the best of the best, I believe that we can make we can make it so that the government is exactly what it should be for people. Thank you. So one of the major topics in the news obviously has to do with police and policing, and we have a few questions related to that. Um, first, for you, Mr. Madhavani, you've received the endorsement of the St. Louis County Police Association. In the endorsement announcement, you spoke of innovative initiatives to reduce violent crime. You said something very similar in your survey response to us. In what ways do you believe the police union and police department need to change? And what are some of the innovations that you envision? Well, uh, two separate questions really relative to uh, crime mitigation and uh, policing uh, practices, uh, frankly. Uh, what I, uh, and I'm going to try to address them both in the time that I have here. Uh, first of all, with respect to uh, policing uh, innovation, uh, I have found that the rank and file of the St. Louis County Police is open to alternative uh, methods of training, alternative methods of uh, policing, to uh, anti-bias training, uh, to uh, uh, even to uh, permitting access to uh, disciplinary records, uh, more defensive training, hiring of social workers, use of social workers to deal with those items of criminality that really are not things like mental illness and domestic abuse and uh, drug dependency uh, and the like. Uh, I think that on the other hand, the crime mitigation question requires our community to step forward in an aggressive way to confront the violent crime that is amongst us. Uh, and I think that these two things are not mutually exclusive uh, at all. Uh, I re would refer to you to the uh, Operation Ceasefire uh, initiative uh, in Boston in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, which was an innovative program that reduced violent crime in that community significantly. Thank you. And just so you know, you were right. It was a compound question, so I was giving you a little extra time to make speak to both of those. Um, so for County Assessor Zimmerman, County Executive Page, and Ms. Tolliver, um, I would like to ask all of you whether you sought the endorsement of the St. Louis County Police Association and the same question as to how you believe the police union and police department need to change. Let's start with you, County Assessor Zimmerman. Uh, I'm happy to talk with everybody in St. Louis County uh, government, but uh, the folks that I've had the most aggressive conversations with were the Ethical Society of Police, and I think that this a police chief's attempt to give them the back of her hand is disrespectful and it is bad public policy. And I don't think it's an accident that it took my conversations with uh, Officer Hall and others and a uh, protest on the steps of the building uh, to cause this county executive to make a last minute decision to sign their memorandum of understanding, which I had previously told them that I would sign on day one. More broadly than that, I would observe 
that the first step towards real and lasting police reform is to get our heads out of the sand. It's not okay to have a police chief who says that racism isn't a problem in her department. And it is not okay to try and bury it with a study to kick it down the can a few months to go around your own police board who picked this police chief and go get civic progress and corporate dark money to try and kick the problem down the road. Let's just acknowledge that we have the problem. We don't need a study to tell us that there's racism in the police department. Thank you. County Executive Page. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot there. So I'll try and uh, respond to your, your question and then respond to uh, some more of the lies by my opponent, which seem to be growing bigger every day. I did not seek the endorsement of the police union, uh, and, but I do believe that everyone who is involved in policing should have a seat at the table and we should hear what they have to say, even if you don't agree with them. I have been listening to the Ethical Society of Police. I have been meeting with them. The police chief has been meeting with them and will continue to do so. Um, assertions that the police chief is not meeting with them are another lie. Assertions that the police board does everything I tell them to do is another lie. We had a county executive who would only appoint people who would agree with him or try to only appoint people who agree with him. When you do that in county government, you have a 400, 450 appointments to make. You're not gonna have a lot of people who will accept the position. But you know, we, our police board can make independent decisions. I, um, I appointed thoughtful, qualified, progressive people to make those decisions. It was no secret amongst the police board members or even the department uh, that, that my top choice for police chief was Lieutenant Colonel Doyle. Uh, but the police board gets to make this decision, not me. They chose someone else, and I'll be working with the person that they chose to take the department forward any way I can. Thank you. And Ms. Tolliver, same question. Thank you. Um, no, I did not. I did not seek the endorsement of the police board um, or the police union or the police department or anything or anything honestly dealing with the police. Um, not not only because um, I believe that there are strong things that need to be changed in the police department, um, but because I am I'm like literally working with um, the police officers themselves um, as opposed to their their actual leadership. Um, my actual my um, campaign manager is a former police officer. Um, in a lot of ways, I feel as though certain endorsements, depending on how big the um, financial support that they offer you, I, I believe those are paid favors. And I believe that a lot of the residents of the county also see them as people that you owe favors to. And when you are, when you are in a position of leadership and, and the concerns of the residents are not being heard, but the things that they, that they are most concerned about um, are not being addressed, but the ones of people that they are in conflict with are, such as the police department, then, it, then, it, then it's assumed that you were bought, paid for, and sold to those people who have endorsed you. Thank and you. I don't, and I would choose not to do I, any of those things. Um, this is the, the last question that's only obliquely related to policing. County Executive Page, last year St. Louis County lost a major discrimination lawsuit brought by a gay county officer. The acts of discrimination at issue in the case happened before your time as County Executive. However, at multiple points during the case, attorneys for St. Louis County went into court and made the argument that LGBTQ employees were not protected from discrimination under Missouri law. This argument continued even after you publicly expressed that that was not the position of St. Louis County. 
what responsibility do you take for those arguments that were raised in court by lawyers retained by St. Louis County? Well, I think first of all, I recognize that I don't always get my way, that there are people who have leadership positions in county government who will act independently, will act independently to uh, protect the finances of county government. I thought that discrimination was wrong. It didn't happen under my watch. Thank you for mentioning that. My opponents don't always do that. Uh, but I did make a clear statement that I thought that, that discrimination based, based on sexual orientation was wrong. It shouldn't be happening. We shouldn't be making this defense. And the Supreme Court has recently agreed with me. Uh, my record here is strong. Um, I was as disappointed as anyone. I think everyone saw that. But in the end, we negotiated uh, a settlement for over $10 million for the person who was discriminated against. The department learned from it. We created a diversity and equity unit within the police department, which I believe is a step forward. And uh, we'll continue to uh, hold these issues in highest regard in my administration. Thank you. Uh, this question is for County Assessor Zimmerman, Mr. Montavani, and Ms. Tolliver. You have all been somewhat critical of County Executive Page's COVID-19 response, including the handling of millions of dollars of CARES Act funding but current leaders are dealing with a historic and unprecedented pandemic requiring both rapid response and constant adjustment. For this reason, some believe it is unfair to take shots from the sidelines and that creating a political issue of the pandemic response is more harmful than helpful at this moment. How do you respond to that critique? We'll start with you, County Assessor Zimmerman. I appreciate the chance to respond to that because I, uh, I can tell I've gotten under uh, Sam's skin a little bit tonight. But uh, look, like Harry Truman used to say when they called him, give him hell, Harry, uh, he said, I don't give him hell, I just said, tell the truth and they think it's hell. Here's the truth. The truth is that 10%, over $15 million of federal COVID relief money has been diverted by this administration away from real relief into political slush funds for county council members. That's not okay. The truth is that a campaign donor was put in charge of handing out the money. The truth is that the so-called transparency amounts to nothing more than saying, we're gonna spend it how we want to and we'll tell you what we did after the fact and my political buddies in the county council will try and provide a little bit of cover for it. It's not a real appropriations process. It's not accountable government. It's not transparency. It's a style of government that has been rejected by peer jurisdictions across the country, including most notably in Kansas City, Missouri. There's a better way to do this. And the better way to do this is not to govern in the dark. It's not okay, period. Mr. Matavani. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I agree that this has been uh, mis mishandled. Uh, you recall when the federal funds were received, uh, we were told that um, the uh, allocation of those funds couldn't go through the county council according to regular procedures because this was an emergency situation. And as I said earlier this afternoon, 29 of the $175 million has been committed, not spent, but even committed yet. Well. This suggests that there was some hypocrisy or misunderstanding or something, because th if, if this was an emergency, right, that's one thing. But clearly, it was not an emergency because the funds still haven't been allocated, right? And look, we have a form of government here that requires oversight. There is nothing wrong with the balance of powers where the legislative body has the opportunity to review prior to the expenditure of funds, the, uh, the allocation of those funds. I think that's a fundamental right. 
uh, of our country. And I think it's been obviated here. Uh, and it's odd that it was obviated in the year of an election, right? And so uh, I, I don't back off relative to those uh, criticism. I think it was a mistaken judgment. Uh, and it's certainly That's one that I would not have made. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Tolliver? Thanks. I believe that the biggest critique that I have with the idea that we opened far too early. I think that when you have the, the county that had the highest death poll, um, we were well over 50% for the entire state. Um, that we should, we absolutely should have, um, we should have slowed the process down. I understand that it has been said numerous times that we are being credited for our reopening policies and practices and that we did everything right, but I definitely think that it could have been handled far better. Um, we were not, we were not at a, um, we were not at a place as a country to, to reopen, to begin reopening, which is why when you watch places like Georgia or um, California or Florida reopening um, so soon and their numbers going way up, I feel like that those, those should have been the test. We should not, we as a county should not have been the test subject. We should have actually been an example. I definitely just thought there were definitely better ways where they could have been, um, where we could have reopened um, with much safer practices. Thank you, Ms. Tolliver. Uh, County Executive Page, we will offer you a minute to respond um, to your... Well, a minute will not treat everyone properly, but I'll do my best with all of that and try and go through them in order. First of all, um, it's, uh, this is a difficult job to make life or death decisions. And if you blink, move too slow, people die. It's very serious uh, and uh, the stakes are high. Um, as far as uh, putting my campaign donor in charge of spending, that's a lie. My, there's no campaign donor in charge of spending. No one has spending authority in county government. The 17.5 17 million dollar slush fund it's referred to as a lifeline to small businesses. Those checks started going out. Everyone who uh, qualified is getting a, a check. There is no slush fund type political decision making. All qualified applicants will be awarded. Um, I've been criticized for having a morgue that was didn't have enough bodies in it. Uh, we saw what happened in Italy. We saw what happened in New York. That's just not, uh, you know, we, we, we are much more dignified in how we manage loss of life in our community. I worked very closely with the faith-based community to make sure that worked well. It's a criticism like sending too many fire trucks to a fire and then the fire wasn't big enough. I just, I just don't know where to go with that. The COVID bu budget is published. $163 million is targeted for spending. Uh, out of $173 million, we've only spent $30 million. There's six okay, months left in a year. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous to say we should have spent it all by now. Um, and thank you for the opportunity to do my best to respond to all of that. Thank you. Thank you all. That concludes round four of the county executive debate. Now it's time for closing statements from all candidates. Again, candidates will have two minutes for closing statements. And we started in alphabetical order by last name. So we're going to go reverse alphabetical order and start with you, County Assessor Zimmerman. I'm so grateful for the format and the thoughtful questions we've had this evening because I think it enables us to see something important, which is that there's a real choice here, right? Everyone is not the same. And look, um, corporate St. Louis, good old boy St. Louis, Republican St. Louis, has made up their mind in this race, and they've sent their support to two of my opponents. 
One of them takes his big money, $250,000 at a time from big corporate interests. The other one takes it $25,000 at a time from folks the likes of Republican mega donors in this state. Uh, there's a reason the good old boys club supports f other folks and doesn't support me. It's because I'm the real progressive in this race. It's because I'm the only person who's had the guts to put a detailed police accountability plan on his website for everyone to see. It's because I'm the only person who's had the guts to call out the absolutely unacceptable response of this region to systemic racism within the police department and within our public health response to a virus that kills people of color at four times the rate that it kills people who look like me. The status quo is not acceptable. And that's probably why the status quo interests have lined up so resoundingly behind other folks in this race. But I've got something better than civic progress and I've got something better than the old St. Louis corporate and Republican and dark money. I've got you. I've got the people watching this conversation. I've got real Democrats, real progressives, people who like me are fed up with the system, fed up with the status quo and believe that there is the possibility of real change. Believe that it is okay to say loud and clear that it's unacceptable to have a police chief who denies that racism exists within her department. Who believe that we can clean up the corruption and the mess once and for all and make this government more accountable and more transparent to those we serve. If those are your values, if that's the kind of leadership you want, then I'm Jake Zimmerman and I'd be honored to have your support on August 4th. Thank you, Ms. Tolliver. Thank you. Again, I, I have to agree with um, Mr. Zimmerman. I think that this was a excellent format. This was an excellent debate. I love the questions. I love the responses. And honestly, to to see my political opponents and to actually hear them defend, defend their platforms was amazing. Um, however, I will say that um, when we are discussing politics, I, when you look literally at this panel, I'm the only one that looks different. And it, I would love to say, well, because I'm black or because I'm a female or because I'm the youngest one, but I feel like that is, those are not reasons to vote for anything. But if you are looking for something to change, if you are looking for something different, if you are looking for something representative, I, I do absolutely believe that I am the best candidate for that. Um, because, because I do not come from a system, um, I do not come from a systematic way of doing things. I don't come from I know how this has always been done. What has always been done has always not worked. And I think that it is far time for, for there to be a, a person that is willing to, to challenge the system, to change the system, and to redirect it. And that is something that should be done with the inclusion of the people in which it is asked to lead. Um, I do believe that one of the biggest parts of leadership is being able to serve. And I do not think that someone who is serving you should tell you what it is that you have to do when you have to do it at all times as though their word is the only one that matters. So absolutely, if you would like a seat at the table, if you would like to have your voices heard, if you would like to be a person who takes um, part in progressive change, that takes part in making history, I would absolutely love and respect your vote on August the 4th. My name is Jamie Tolliver and I appreciate everything that you are doing, everything that is being given support to me in my campaign. Thank you. Thank you. County Executive Page. Well, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. It's an honor to serve as your County Executive for the past 15 months. As County Executive, I'm leading the county through three crises, cleaning up the mess led by Stinger, 
managing the COVID-19 pandemic and its public health, humanitarian and economic impacts and leading the county during a civil rights movement like we haven't seen in 50 years. Any one of these would define an administration and we're managing all three of them simultaneously. I announced I'd be running for county executive back in November and I was committed to running before the pandemic, before the murder of George Floyd, and I'm even more committed to running now. I'm the right leader for this moment. You need and you deserve a county executive with experience in making fast, smart, life or death decisions under enormous pressure. As a medical doctor, I've done that for 20 years and I've got that experience. I've also got the experience of public service and in building the kind of coalition we need to manage all of these historic crises we face and to move forward together. This is a moment that requires swift, decisive and calm leadership. It's a moment where experience matters and integrity is paramount. With everything we've seen in the last four years, I'm more than disappointed in the campaigning I've seen in this race. But I do think it gives you an opportunity to see what kind of leaders some of my opponents are. I'm the choice of progressive organizations, labor organizations, and townships. I'm the choice of elected leaders and former elected leaders around this region. And I'm the choice of people you trust because I'm proven I've got what it takes to bring action and I've got your interested hearts. I'd be honored to have your vote in the August primary and I look forward to continuing this conversation and the working relationships that we've already developed across the region. Thank you. Thank you, and Mr. Montavani. Thank you, I would uh, concur with my, uh, my opponents here that this has been a wonderful event. Thank you for the quality of the questions and the opportunity to address them. Uh, for too long, uh, this community has uh, tolerated uh, substandard leadership and it's been reflected in the progress of our community. What we've seen here today illustrates really what's wrong with our community, why we make so little progress. We get politicians who've been in office for five and 10 and 15 years, calling each other names, uh, uh, disputing uh, historic facts, uh, and not focusing really on the future of the community as the priority that it should be. Uh, the fact is that our population is shrinking, uh, our economic base is lagging, our homicide rate is surging, we have systemic racism across the region, uh, and these historic career politicians continue to argue for uh, their position over the other instead of being aggressive relative to solving our problems. Despite all of these challenges, in my opinion, our leadership is standing by, wringing its hands, and in the words of an old musical, it fiddles, twiddles, and resolves. I love it when politicians who've been in office for 10 and 15 years say, I'm the difference maker. Well, where have you been for the last 10 or 15 years? I see no difference there whatsoever. I propose a different kind of leadership, one that demonstrates impatience with the status quo. Politicians like to speak about how slow change might be. Well, I'm not so naive to believe that change ever happens overnight, but I also believe that with the right kind of leadership, experience executive level leadership, change can happen more rapidly than it has in the past. If you believe that the status quo in St. Louis is adequate, I'm not your candidate. If you challenge, uh, on the other hand, if you believe that we have to challenge ourselves to be better across the board in economics and in social challenge areas, then I am, please join me in this endeavor. Thank you for your consideration and good afternoon. 
You're on mute, Kayla. <laughs> thank you. Thank you all so much. We don't have an audience, so Blake and I clap. Um, this was a this is a, this we've made it. It's been two hours. We've done this two weeks in a row. So we'd like to thank you all for participating in this debate. Uh, Ms. Jamie Tolliver, Mr. Mark Montavani, County Assessor Jake, Jim, Jake Zimmerman, and County Executive um, Dr. Sam Page. We appreciate you. Uh, and we also would like to thank our partners, the ACLU of Missouri, Dutchtown South Community Corporation, uh, MCU, Missouri Faith Voices, Missouri, Missouri Jobs with Justice, NARAL Pro-Choice Missouri, Organization for Black Struggle, Planned Parenthood, SEIU Healthcare Missouri, Missouri Kansas SEIU State Council, We Power, and the Under the Arch podcast. As a reminder, this debate will be available on all platforms where you can find our podcast, Under the Arch. We would like to thank our teams Action at Action St. Louis, particularly Carissa Anderson, Chris Pofis, and at Arch City Defenders, Lee Corley and Simone. Um, most importantly, we would like to thank the broader public um, from wa for watching and sharing this debate. Our debate last week had over 20,000 views. Please share this. Please use this as an opportunity to educate your teams, your communities, your families on the very important position of county executive on the August 4th ballot. I would personally like to thank Blake Stroh for being my co-pilot over the last couple of weeks that we set up these events. Um, very new um, on over uh, the internet. And thank you to act.tv uh, for the production of these debates. As a reminder, the election is August 4th, Tuesday, August 4th, 22 days from today. Polls open at 6 a.m. and they close at 7 p.m. For more information about the election, please go to our website at actionstl.org. Thank you so much for watching and we hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We have come so far, so far from home. We have come so far, so far to go. To know.